Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to our special explosive episode of the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Listeners, if you're paying attention, you would you would have worked out by now that the 1973 Justice League and Justice Society team-up crossover is imminent, and you'd be right with all that, and you'd probably know in advance that it's going to deal with a story that involves reintroducing, or introducing to the DC Universe, some characters formerly published by Quality Comics that will go on to become known as the Freedom Fighters. Yay! And you'll probably know that this team is made up of characters named Uncle Sam, Black Condor, Phantom Lady Dollman, The Ray, and The Human Bomb. And you'll probably be thinking to yourself... Wonder if David and Peter are going to do one of those episodes that they did before the Seven Soldiers of Victory, when they look at some stories featuring the characters that would become the Freedom Fighters, and then see if there's other interesting stories where they meet, perhaps other versions of some of those characters, or how many other different versions of you know characters. And you'd be right, quite frankly. Of course we are. Of course and we are. As we approach the third JLEJC team up that we'll have done this year, we are bringing you up to speed by talking about some of these characters, etc. Obviously, in today's episode, as you may have guessed from Peter's introduction, there we are focusing on the Human Bomb. Indeed, we are, David. Pizza. When did you first encounter the Human Bomb? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me that. I've got a feeling it was Young All Stars. Mm. Quite early on, there's a bit where they talk about Uncle Sam taking the Freedom Fighters to Washington. Of course, sort of big panel mm-hmm. where you see lots of people and you see um, the human bomb sort of doing explosions and stuff. Outside from that, it probably would have been when I bought the issue of All-Star Squadron that Spoilers does the thing, Spoilers, when they all take the big group photo, Spoilers. Oh, I see. Beyond that, it was probably when I read Crisis or started buying the Freedom Fighters back issues. He's not mm-hmm. someone that I encountered really or anything when I was a kid. It's, mm-hmm. it's, he's not someone that, that I kind of remember going, oh, wow, because, you know, this yeah. was the first. I remember he was just he was a face in the crowd, as Tom Petty might have said. When I did see. you first encounter the Human Bomb? Yeah, it was, I remember buying an issue of Freedom Fighters from the Glasgow Barras, as it was then, when it had the the price. I think it was twenty pence penciled on the back cover, because that's how they price things there. And I, I'm sure it was the one with the roller coaster, I think, in the cover. Right. Yeah. So that was my first experience of the Freedom Fighters. I just thought, who is this team that DC are publishing? Why have I not heard of these guys? Right. And of course, Human Bomb's part of that team. So yes. Interesting. Mm. So listeners, as you probably won't be astonished to learn, we've been planning this one for quite a long time. I'll get you know some screenshots on my phone from like two or three years ago of <laughs> comic covers featuring characters called Human Bomb. And Peter and I have been debating for a very long time which stories we would actually do, because yes. Peter had done a bit of digging a while ago and found a good like, you know, nine or ten different stories that mm-hmm. had the word human bomb sort of used in the title. And we've narrowed it down. We're going to do four for this episode. We might do some more of the other ones in the future. Who can say? We might go into detail, but we're going to give very brief details on the ones that we don't cover. But we're kicking off today with a story featuring your actual human bomb, a.k.a. Roy Lincoln. Peter, do you want to give everyone the basics on the human bomb? Yes, the human bomb first appeared in Police Comics issue one. He was a scientist called Roy Lincoln, who was assisting his father, who was an explosives expert. They were working on a new, incredibly powerful explosive chemical known as... 27-QRX. Wow. However, those evil Nazis tried to steal the formula. And one of the Nazis shot and killed Roy's father. Oh, no. Roy fought the agents, and in order to stop them from stealing the formula, he swallowed it. (gasps) The result of that was he gained incredible explosive power that was concentrated in his hands, and he could release it with destructive force. So there we are. He then adopted the costume identity of the human bomb. The human bomb. 
Yeah, I've you know read the All Star Squadrons, eighties, and I've read the the odd issue of the Freedom Fighters seventies series, and I've read some of the modern stuff he's been in. And so today, to get us going, we're going to start off with a story from issue seven of Police Comics, published on the twelfth of December, nineteen forty-one. A mere 30 years to the day before the birth of Johnny Dean, lead singer of menswear. Wow, my goodness, there you there go, packed fans. Yes, and about a week or so after Pearl Harbor. Well then, interesting. That's all the historical context you probably <laughs> need. Does Peter want to tell us about the cover to Police Comics issue 7? I would be delighted to tell go you the cover. Then. It's a lovely, clean, white cover with the Police Comics logo at the top. Ten cents. It's cover dated February, and we've got the number seven. And of course, it's got the Quality Comics seal. Yes, because it's a Quality Comics publication. And it says, featuring Plastic Man. And you've got Plaz, as we all know and love. He is being attacked by a bunch of criminals who are all holding guns. Plaz is doing a really weird coily thing with his arms and grabbing some guns off them. He He appears to be holding two guns himself, but of course, his arms, like, coiled like a spring all the way around around his own body, actually. Peter Memming that there for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Yeah, you know, Plaz, he always has to be different. And the gangsters are firing on them and the bullets are just bouncing off of his plastic body. Thank goodness for that. So there we are. But down the left-hand column, we have got a roll call for some of the other characters that appear in this very comic. And they are Firebrand, The Human Bomb, Phantom Lady, 7-Eleven, and... Chick Carter. Chick Carter. I wonder if Chick Carter fought anyone decent. I, w- I want to do a Chick Carter story somehow. <laughs> Let's find, did he find out? Did he batter someone called the Tarantula? Because that would we'll, be really helpful. We'll find out. We'll, we'll find, find out, out eventually. Yes. So we flick past Firebrand and 7 Eleven and Plastic Man and Phantom Lady and all that until we come to the human bomb. There's a large, exciting panel of the human bomb being struck by a speeding motor vehicle and doing some, doing some quite considerable damage to it in the process. Kicking off this story, a caption reads. Roy Lincoln, head of the Navy Chemical Research Laboratory, is in secret the human bomb, most feared man alive, whose very barehanded touch means destruction of the worst kind. As we say, dynamic shot, we get the human bomb logo, we're told it is by Paul Carroll. Our opening scene-setting caption reads, One night, as Roy Lincoln and his fiancée Jean are walking along a Washington street, Roy's in full fancy Navy uniform. Nice long comfortable coat. Jean's wearing a nice red coat, fur lined collar, white fur muffler, lots of snow. Beautiful artwork in this quite mm-hmm. family. Stunningly in every story in this comic, actually. Gorgeous artwork. They're walking along, Roy is saying. Now, divide the square root of cosine x by the infinitive of the square root of b over the total pressure minus the resisting element. There! Now you know a secret navy formula. But don't tell a soul or you'll be shot for treason. Oh, says Jean, you're worse than trying to squeeze blood out of a stone. You might at least have the decency to speak English to me. Formula fooey. <laughs> Don't tell me that you've forgotten what I told you. Say, what's all the commotion about up ahead? In the first panel of page two of the story, we see a couple of men in suits running around, looking very alarmed. Roy says, what's going on? And one guy in a green suit is yelling, let me out of here. Roy and Jean start moving towards a disturbance in panel two. Come on, Jean, let's find out what's going on. Uh-oh, here we go again. Another man in a pale green suit, a pale green cap, runs past. Roy grabs his arm, saying, Hey, where's the fire? It ain't no fire, bud. It's the human bomb. He's gone loco. Ram sacking the FBI office. Why, that phony snake in the grass? Roy exclaims, The human bomb? Yeah, says the guy in the green. He runs off. Roy starts taking off his overcoat. Jean is not having it. She says, Roy, Roy, don't you dare. 
In the next panel, we see that Gene is now left holding his cap. So he's taking it off too. And Gene is saying, Roy, I'll never speak to you again. Roy, oh, oh, you, what's the use? And the next caption reads, Well, Roy Lincoln is gone and left Gene standing in a corner again. He is off to learn who's impersonating him as the human bomb. Brilliant shot of Roy running through the snow. I mean, lying deep in Cressman even. This is stunning. As he runs along, Roy is saying, The human bomb, eh? I'll see about that. Whoever's behind this sure made the streets deserted. Turns a corner. And when we see him rushing towards, oh, we can see the, the big tall Washington monument there. Oh, and the Capitol building as well. And oh, oh, take a drink. There's a full moon looming in, in the night sky. Roy is saying, There's a kid. Maybe he saw where this phony human bomb went. Yeah, we see a little boy leaning against a lamppost. What's he doing out in this weather? Anyway, Roy approaches the little boy in the first panel of the next page saying, Hey, kid, see anything of the human bomb? Sure, for two bits. The next panel we see Roy handing the little boy a couple of coins. We also see the boy's reading a copy of Police Comics. How meta. Mm-hmm. And the little boy says, Okay, he went that way, but he ain't a human bomb. How do I know? His eyes ain't the same as the guys in this comic book. Roy runs off again, saying, Here's another two bits. You ought to be a detective. Nix, ain't got no use for balls. They're poison. Every time I see one, holy mackerel, it's him. His eyes, it's the same. Hey, hey, wait for me. Has he recognised Roy from the comic? He's recognised Roy, yeah. Unbelievable. As Roy runs off through the snow, the next panel, he says, Just a dumb kid, eh? I'd better shake him, though. But the boy's running after Roy, shouting, Hey! Should mention the boy does look a little bit like a cross between Scrapper and Thingy from the Newsboy Legion. Yes, uh huh. The big hat and the gappy teeth. Anyway, mm. the caption for the next panel reads Before long, Roy Lincoln catches up with the fake human bomb. Yes, Roy looking very athletic and smart in his military uniform, rushing along the streets. We can see someone else dressed like the human bomb in that sort of white overall. Is, is it asbestos sort of coverall suit, suit, isn't it? Suit, yeah. With the, the helmet with the visor. Roy catches up with him, leaps, grabs him by the neck, sends him flying into a couple of dustbins. So take, take a, a drink. drink. And the next panel, Roy's punching this fake human bomb in the stomach, sending him up into the air, saying, For acting the part of the human bomb, you're not putting up much of a show. I see a couple of men in big hats and big coats running towards them in the background. They arrive in the next panel. There's actually, what, four of them? And one of them says to Roy, Hey, nice going, bud. We'll hold him. Joe! Pick up that folder he got from the FBI office. We see there's actually something lying on the ground, which we imagine that the the fake human bomb must have been carrying, must have stolen. It's not too clear in the previous panels. Panel two, the fake human bomb has had his helmet removed, and Roy is saying, Before you get any ideas, this guy isn't the human bomb. He's just a phony. And this makes one of the new arrivals say, Well, while all this is going on, one of the other new arrivals behind Roy is reaching into the pocket of his coat and bringing out a pistol. In panel three, he fires it. At Roy's back, there's a bang. Next panel, Roy turns around. He's not been phased. Punches this guy, saying, Didn't do you much good, eh, rat? You guys worked pretty smoothly. You even had me fooled at first. The only mistake you made is that you didn't expect to run into the real human bombs. The guy gulps as Roy punches him. Then he runs off with his pals back down the alleyway from which they came. Roy starts taking off the rest of his military uniform, saying... As soon as I put this outfit on, I'll show you what he's like. Yep, and we see pulling out from his... It looks like he's pulling out from his pocket the rest of the proper, actual human bomb uniform. Wow! Mm-hmm. He can shrink it down and do all that sort of stuff. Interesting. Yeah. The bad guys have got a fright. As they run off, one of them yells, It's him! They realise what they're up to. In the next panel, they approach a large, fancy yellow car, still parked in the deep snow. The first of them says, Get in the car before he blows us into hash! And his pal replies, Mike! 
Give me that bottle of nitroglycerin you've been using. And as the car pulls off, the guy in brown, who's just asked Mike for this bottle, throws it out the window back towards a human bomb saying, Okay, step on it. Car pulls off the caption for the final panel of this page. As the bottle of nitroglycerin hits the side of the building, it is shattered into a deafening explosion. Yeah, and in the first panel of the next page, it looks as though the building has come down, but Human Bomb is using his own powers to explode the debris, saying, You'll need more than that to stop me, boys. As the Human Bomb rounds the corner from the alley, He bumps into the little boy from earlier on. They collide. Both go down in the snow and the little boy says, They went that way. Now we're even for that extra two bits you gave me. Uh-oh, I knew it. Sorry I have to leave you again, but I have a job in my hands. Human Bomb rushes off, the kid shouts after him, Hey! 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 You'll need a car to chase those crooks. I got one all fixed and warmed up, chains and all. Well, I'll be. In the next panel, they're inside the car, which is a large, red, fancy type thing with a long bonnet. I don't know anything about cars. And their voices come from inside. Are you trying to kid me? The ignition switch is locked. Step on the starter, Mark. Step on it. What the? It works. Hey, whose car is this, and what did you do to it? Search me. I just crossed the wires on it. <laughs> you and Bob just stolen a car. Outstanding. <laughs> a slow dissolve. A short time later. Yes, the big red car is caught up with the big yellow car. There we are, from inside. We can hear the human bomb saying, There's the car. Take the wheel, kid. There's only one way to stop these guns. In the next panel, they're pulling alongside. Human bomb stood up and opened the door of the car, and he's standing, now hanging out the, the doorway, saying, Okay, kid. Pass him. Wide open! And the caption for the first panel on the next page reads, As the two cars drop side by side, the human bomb dies for the motor of the car with the thugs in it. A fantastic see-what-you-see caption, because what we actually see is the human bomb diving towards the motor of the car with the thugs in it. Way! <laughs> Massive explosion as he collides, and in panel two, the vehicle rears off the road, with the human bomb still hanging on and collides with the side of a building. Human bomb gets to his feet, punches one of the bad guys hanging out of the door, saying, Well... What are you doing, not knocked out? And in panel four, kid's got out of the motor, which he must have parked very... <laughs> done a good job of doing that. And he says, Phew! All of them as cold as ice! To which the bomb says, Let's take a look at this folder the phony human bomb lifted from the FBI office. And the next panel shows Roy Lincoln, back in his military uniform, reading through this file and saying, Evidence to prove that Henry Vogelman, the publisher, is the head of a Nazi propaganda and sabotage ring here. Well... Come on, kid. Here's where we finish up. This little episode clinches things. And the next panel, the kid is standing next to one of the unconscious bad guys saying, Yeah, but it's finished already. This rat is Vogelman. I used to sell papers for him until I got too nosy in the cellar of the joint. The bum canned me and kicked me out. Now that we've cleaned house, where's your joint so I'll know where to bunk? Roy seems to be properly removing the rest of his human bomb uniform at this point as he replies, Uh-oh. Okay. Come on, but I'll have to notify the police and see a friend of mine first. And in the next panel, they're walking back towards Jean, still standing looking annoyed, still holding Roy's cap and overcoat. Roy is saying, There's the friend I was telling you about. Well, of all the low-down tricks to pull on a guy, a dame! As time rolls on and Roy Lincoln makes progress in patching things up as to why he left Jean stranded again... Final panel runs out with Jean looking very annoyed as Roy tries to explain what's going on, as the boy, whose name we still haven't had, stands just round the corner saying, Come on, chump. Women is poison. They only recommends life. Just trouble. Blah, 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 blah. And that would appear to be... The end. The end. Don't miss the next exciting episode of The Human Bomb in the March issue of Police Comics.
Well, that was all very economical and speedy and exciting and fast, wasn't it? It was great fun. Is that the yes. quickest we've ever got through a story ever? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Aren't you glad, listeners, that we're doing more than one story this episode? That- <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's no contemporary correspondence, so, <laughs> but that doesn't stop you from telling us what you think, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I love the fact that the um, the other human bomb is in one, two, three, four, five, six panels mm-hmm. and doesn't say a single word. This is Police Comics 7. The human bomb first appeared in Police Comics 1, so we're only seven issues in. He's only had six prior appearances and there's someone already impersonating him. <laughs> Yeah, just like, it all seems a bit of a random choice, isn't it? You yeah. know, are they trying to discredit the human bomb or are they just, the fact that everyone's running away, the human bomb's gone local. I mean, does that suggest it was he setting off, had they rigged it so he was setting off explosions at the same time? It seems like a lot of the interesting stuff was happening off camera. Yeah, but we were focused on the bomb all the way through, which is good. He is your main character. Everything should be happening around him. We're seeing it through his eyes or in his visor. This, I suppose so that's true. I mean, it's all his, his POV. Yeah, it's a, I would have liked a little bit more of a bit more detail on who the the false one was and yeah. you know, what he was up to and you know as we say like you know the little boy points out that it's all to do with um Vogelman so maybe maybe you know, was it even Vogelman that was in the outfit I don't think so no well, actually because it wasn't it could be actually because one guy there we see with a moustache one guy a couple of guys that are going for the car that we don't see if we assume that the human bomb is one of the guys going for the car the one that Roy didn't punch out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's not very clear, but yes, it was um, it was very fast moving and very exciting, and that's probably all we really need from it, really, isn't yes, it? Yes, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, it's a shame that we don't get a name for this kid, and I don't know if he hangs around a bit with the yeah. human bomb. I mean, it almost seems like it's set up for a a new kid sidekick or kid hanger on in a way, isn't it? Yeah, which given the fact that in recent times they've uh, retconned a sidekick, Cherry Bomb, of as, course, as the human bomb sidekick, they could have actually used this kid. That would have been fun. Of course, that's part of the, the recent epic Stargirl, The Lost Children series. Mm. Our friend Ross has been covering that in, in greater detail on Stop, Let's Team Up. So we would divert you there because if Pete and I are going to talk about it, it's not going to be for years. Yes. But of course, the human bomb did have a Golden Age sidekick back in the day. Yes, Justice Throckmorton is a chap who got a blood transfusion from Roy Lincoln. And he also developed explosive powers in his feet. Yes, outstanding. <laughs> So it literally was a comedy sidekick. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Joyous. I wonder if I wonder if Jeff will use him in any stories upcoming. We should maybe write a letter to Jeff Johns and see if he's planning to to use Mr. Throckmorton in, in any of the upcoming Young Justice Society stories. That would be interesting. That'd be fantastic. This yes. can't this cherry bomb fails because it doesn't it contradicts police comics issue fourteen <laughs> where Throckmorton did this. Anyway, we shall see what happens with that. Not just fourteen, he was hanging around right up until issue fifty eight at yeah. least. Yeah. Many, many, many appearances of this chap. So yes. Of how exciting. Yes, we might we might come back to him one day, listeners. You never know. You we never know. We may do. But that wraps things up for the original Human Bomb. But, as you said, there have been others. And we now jump forward to issue 13 of Police Comics for our second Human Bomb R. Pete had to twist Marmot doing this one slightly, listeners. But, you know, it's an interesting character that we'll probably never talk about ever again. Peter, do you want to tell everyone about the cover to Police Comics issue 13, which was published on the 9th of the 9th, 42? I would be delighted. Again, it's got the Police Comics logo at the top. We've got Plastic Man as your main character as well. He's running away from some street urchins who are after him because they're doing a rubber salvage collection. 
How amusing. How amusing indeed, yes. And the banner at the bottom says, Starring Plastic Man, the India rubber wizard who bounces Ben's stretchy shrinks. Yeah, Plaz is looking a bit worried on this. Yes, I don't blame him. He's yeah. going to get melted down and turned into <laughs> car tyres. And down the side, we have in stars, literally the stars of this comic. And they are the spirits. Manhunter, that's the Dan Richards version of Manhunter that we've covered before. Chick Carter, 7-Eleven, and the Human Bomb. Chick Carter, fresh from his sellout season at the Glasgow Pavilion, probably. Supporting Tommy Trinder. And all that sort of thing. So yes, listeners, this story is called The Human Bomber. Peter, would you like to tell everyone who Mouthpiece is, Stroke was, etc.? Yeah, Mouthpiece is the final Golden Age appearance of The Mouthpiece. And sadly, he doesn't even make the cover. He's not even in the, in the list at the side, which is very disappointing. Anyway, Mouthpiece is William Perkins, or Bill Perkins. He was a district attorney who became a masked vigilante called The Mouthpiece, which basically is one of these guys in a business suit with a hat who puts a mask on. <laughs> like the spirits. Midnight. Like Midnight. Like, like 7-Eleven, actually, yeah, to 7 be honest. 7-Eleven, Green Hornet, yeah. lots of people, yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a DA... And he felt that the police and courts were ineffective in handling crime. And he actually dealt out justice quite brutally. He only had 13 appearances in the first 13 issues of police comics in the Golden Age. However, there was a character called Mouthpiece in the prestige format Doctor Midnight series who's implied that it might actually be a very much older version of this character. Interesting. I've not read those in a very, very long time. Probably, God, since before he popped up in GSA. (laughs) Oh! In the 90s, I might have to mm. dig those out. And of course, the term mouthpiece is actually an old slang term for a, a criminal defence lawyer. So that really ties uh-huh. in. That's quite a good name, given his occupation, etc. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So without any further ado, we shall leap into the story, which begins with a large, exciting opening panel, which takes up two-thirds of the opening page. A full moon hangs in the background. We can see some buildings, which to, me, to my eyes look like factories. We'll have to yes. see how that plays out. There's a weird sort of pulley system that's been rigged up and going above these buildings and there's a man on a sort of swing riding along with a big metal bucket on his lap which appears to be full of little rockets or maybe they're bombs and he's holding one in his right hand which has a swastika on it and if that's not done to deliberately antagonise Rich from the Weird Warriors podcast I don't know (laughs) this guy is grotesque, he has horrible weird gappy teeth, he's wearing a check jacket and a polka dot shirt by the looks of things even Peter couldn't get away with that (laughs) <laughs> and swinging down behind him along this, this line, it looks like he's using a horseshoe or something to, to hook him to it, is the mouthpiece. And this grotesque figure, seeing mouthpiece approaching him, well, quite rightfully, he exclaims, The mouthpiece! And mouthpiece is replying to this chap saying, That's the last bomb you'll ever drop. And that's obviously the end of the story. So there we go. No, mm. I'm, being, I'm being silly. We have a mouthpiece logo at the top and we're told the story is called... The Mouthpiece and the Human Bomber. And we get a little caption box here which tells us... When ordinary police methods fail to get results, District Attorney Bill Perkins secretly puts on a black mask and alone goes out as the Mouthpiece to strike down fifth columnists and crooks. Fifth columnists. Been in my life, so they are, honestly. Right then. Caption for the first part of the story proper. The tank factory at the base of Hacklehead Mountain is suddenly bombed, apparently from the air. Yes, there's an enormous wham! As this building goes up, lots of explosions. We can see a couple of men at the front reacting in shock, horror and terror and everything. Wham, of course, 
being the hugely successful 80s pop band featuring George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. I'm not sure if any members of menswear ever shared the bill with them, but it's possible. A slow dissolve. Later, in the district attorney's office... Yes, we see the very smart Bill Perkins talking to a slightly heavier set figure, wearing a nice check waistcoat and a dyby hat, smoking a cigar. Bill Perkins is saying, Any luck in the investigation, Clancy? Nah, DA. The place was bombed. And from the air, but there are no planes around. This is a screwy case. Well, hang around the factory tonight. I may be there. Okay, Chief. Clancy takes his leave. We get a nice shot of the DA as he says to himself. I think I'll take a look over at Hacklehead myself. As the mouthpiece. A slow dissolve. Soon the black-masked mouthpiece is searching for clues. Great shot. We see mouthpiece standing on a hillside. We can see the factory behind him. There's a broken branch in front of him. Some marks on the ground. It's also something else. But he's saying, I'm sure this mountain has something to do with the bombing. And indeed, the next panel he's reached down and picked up. So far, all I can find is this horseshoe. I'll keep it for luck. And as he says that, a full moon looms in the background. So take a drink. That's so many. That's four drinks already this episode. Hey, blimey! If a dustbin pops up, we'll be laughing. A slow dissolve. But higher up on the mountain, yes, we appear to be inside some kind of structure. There's a man wearing green trousers, tight fitting green jacket, a little cap. But there's another fellow who we saw in the splash panel. We can see his horrible, wild, green check jacket. He used to be wearing those green trousers that movie directors always seem to wear in cartoons <laughs> of old movies. He's a little green hat on, boots, and we can see the, the polka dots might actually be a scarf. But anyway, this man in the green check jacket is piling small bombs into the bucket. And his friend, the other guy in green, he appears to be adjusting a swing that's being fitted to a line. We can see all sorts of pulley mechanisms. We probably shouldn't have described that opening splash panel in as much detail as we did. But anyway, the cohort man is saying, this is a slick idea, Vondrell. We can bomb that place every night. They'll never get wise. Yeah, and maybe get a medal from the Führer. In the next panel, Vondrell is secure on a swing with his bucket full of bombs, and he's starting to slide out. He says, Already, let me go. Easy. And a full moon looms in the background as we see, it's, I suppose, it's almost a zip wire. Mm-hmm. It's like a cable car sort of wire sort of thing. We can see him descending, which has obviously been stretched from one point up high on this mountainside to some other point further down. As he descends, Von Drool can be heard saying, Soon as I'm over the factory, I'll let him have it again. <laughs> I'm a human bomber. Did you see what he did there, listeners? We're back inside the engine room, for want of a better way of putting it. We can see Von Drill's sidekick still working the mechanism, but the mouthpiece, who looks so much like the spirit as to be <laughs> almost unbelievable, has arrived with his pistol drawn, and he says to himself, So that's their game using an old forgotten mountain cable that crosses the valley below. He focuses his pistol on the bad guy, the final panel of page two here, and he's saying, No use messing around with that rat, I'm letting daylight into him. And in the first panel of page three, the mouthpiece continues saying, Right in the head, and he fires his pistol, the bad guy falls back with a scream. Ah! Because, my God, mouthpiece just shot him (laughs) in the face. My goodness me! In the next panel, mouthpiece crosses to the mechanism for the cable wire, saying, Now, I'll pull his pal back. We want Von Drool alive. And in panel three, framed by a full moon, so take a drink, we see Von Drool, and he says, Hey, what's his loss? He's pulling me back. And in panel four, he's pulled back up towards the opening in the mountainside. We can see the factory down below as Von Drool says, So, it's you, mouthpiece. 
I love how he's recognised he's just the most generic-looking adventurer ever. So it's you, Midnight. No, it's a spirit. <laughs> um, Chica- no, I'm mouthpiece. Oh, it's oh, it's mouthpiece. Right, I've heard of you. <laughs> okay. Anyway, mouthpiece says you better surrender. Not me. I'll cut the poor rope and slide to the other side. I'll still bomb the factory on the way over. And Von Drill pulls a knife and we can see that he really should have gone to a dentist at some point. We can also marvel at the, the wideness of the, the brim of his fedora and the, the polka dot cravat with the, the jacket. Um, stunning. Mm. And indeed, because he's done this, he starts to slide away. A full moon looms in the background as mouthpiece, clutches a broken rope saying, Somehow, I've got to stop him. I got it. In the next panel, he continues. I'll hook this horseshoe over the cable and... Yes, and Fullman looms in the background as he picks up the horseshoe that he found, loops onto the cable, and in the final panel of page three, he starts sliding after Von Drill, saying, Saboteur, here I come. Fullman looms in the background as they both slide out over the factory. Oh my goodness. The caption for the first panel of the next page. Racing down the wire, the mouthpiece gains on the fifth columnist. Yes, framed by, once again, you guessed it, Fullman. Our listeners are going to be... Paralytic <laughs> listeners recommend probably listening to this episode in two chunks if you're going to be this drunk at this point. <laughs> Von Drew looks back at mouthpieces catching up on him, and Von Drew says, You'll never catch me. Oh, yeah, that's what they all say. And in the next panel, mouthpiece is caught up and managed to hook his legs around Von Drew's neck. Leg on me, cries Von Drew. And then mouthpiece says in the next panel, I'll make you jettison those bombs and tips the bucket of bombs forward. Framed, of course, as you'd expect, by a full moon. The caption for the next panel. The bombs land in an open space, causing no damage. Yes, it was a very impressive boom explosion as we see the bombs raining from the sky and exploding next to the fence surrounding a factory. Searchlight beams immediately stab into the sky. Yeah, no less than seven searchlights all getting aimed up in at the sky at this point. We see some of the military and factory personnel running about on the ground below. One man says... Another raid? And another chap says, This time we got searchlights. You see one guy in overalls pointing up at the sky in the next panel saying, Look, two guys fighting. How did they get up there? And we see indeed caught in the beams, Von Drill and Mouthpiece fighting as they hang onto the swing on the wire. Now there's a military chap with binoculars in the final panel of page four. He gets a close up. We don't see his face because of the binoculars and his hand getting away, but he's looking up at what's going on and he says, It's the mouthpiece. Bet he's knocking off a crook. Keep it clean. For the first panel of page five, we're back up in the, the night sky as Mouthpiece and Von Drew hang on to the swing for dear life, full moon in the background, as they struggle not to fall off. Mouthpiece lays one on Von Drew, saying, That sells your hash, now I'll fasten you in with your scarf. And we see that polka dot scarf has been used to secure him to the swing in the next panel, which is a lot further down by this point. You still see another full moon in the background. Mouthpiece is able to drop from the, the swing as he says, This is where the mouthpiece gets off. And then with a Splash! Panel 3, he lands in a nearby lake or puddle or possibly effluent <laughs> container because in the next panel we see the factory behind him. Is this when Mouthpiece gets superpowers from having just yes. swum in explosive-filled water and he becomes another word with the word piece in the title? Mm. I don't know. Anyway, panel 4, he emerges from this green swirling liquid taking off his mask saying, District Attorney Perkins will now take over. Meanwhile, Von Drool comes to the end of the line. Oh, end of the line, of course, being that magnificent Travelling Wilbury song. Yay. This panel is sure as heck going on the socials with a massive pow. pow. The swing collides with a rock and Von Drool is knocked off the swing, landing upside down, head first on the ground, just as Clancy arrives on the scene. Fantastic. Clancy says, Come to Clancy, you rat. Am I glad I looked into this cable? Perkins arrives behind, saying, 
Well, Clancy, I see you got him. Did you see the mouthpiece? The DA! exclaims Clancy. We get our last look at Von Drool, who looks grotesque. Without the hat, we can see he's got a shaved head. He's a horrible big flappy tongue hanging out. Wide eyes. It was... Ugh. And then we actually get a close-up of Clancy in the next panel with his very neat moustache. He terrifies me for different reasons. Clancy saying, He disappeared in thin air, but I saw him for a minute when the searchlights caught him. And in the final panel, as Bill waves the horseshoe at Clancy, he says, That mouthpiece certainly helps us solve tough cases, and he never takes any credit. Boy, how the underworld hates him. And that's us at the end. And ironically, there's a caption at the bottom that says, Read Midnight every month in Smash Comics. I wonder if Bill Perkins died as a result of drinking and ingesting some of that weird green fluid from the big pool next to the bomb factory. I wonder why Clancy didn't say, The DA, why are you soaking? Yes. <laughs> well, that didn't hang about, did it? No, again, it's, it's very fast storytelling. You yes. Know, it's, it's, it's very simple plot and things are resolved very quickly. Mm. Mouthpiece shot that guy in the face. Yes, he did. It's, and... Yeah. And Von Drool has definitely the worst dentistry we've seen in the podcast so far. That last panel, he's in, he actually looks as if he's might be dead. I mean, the panel before that, he's about to fall right in his head with his... Yes, uh-huh. Well, he falls off the swing upside down, yeah. Going at some speed. Snapped, yeah. And his tongue sticking out in that final panel. Yeah, I don't, think he's, I don't think he's dead. I think he's probably just unconscious. <laughs> Come to Clancy, you rat. Am I glad? It, I think, you know, he's probably just rebounded and he's fallen and he's probably knocked himself out. I think that's what it is. Let's... Let's try and minimise the, the death count on this episode. Clancy looks a bit like a, a more portly uh, Terry Thomas to me, if you know what I mean. With a neat moustache, yeah, but yeah. he also, I mean, he looks like he's got a couple of chins. He looks like a That's quite, what I mean, portly. I don't know, I get a sense that Von Drill and Clancy have probably got on very well together. I could almost hear this story in a way. I could imagine the cold mm. night winds sort of yeah. rushing past them because yeah. it's a clear sky, there's no clouds, the full moon is probably in more panels than yeah. the mouthpiece himself. It was, you know, it packed a lot in. I mean, I liked the, the short, brief scenes of the people on the ground. The way the factory stuff is illustri- illustrated at bottom page four is really good. I mean, it looks, panels five and six almost seem like, you know, sequential. You know, it's mm-hmm. it doesn't look as if the camera's panned across. It looks like we're just getting one yeah. different view of one part of the factory, and that's the next part of the factory beside it. Yeah. Actually, I suppose the angle's a little different. I love the fact that the guy with the binoculars was able to determine that it was a mouthpiece from that distance. Oh, he's obviously a big fan. Yeah, he's, and it's, he's the president of the Mouthpiece fan club. Yeah, and it's lucky that the bombs didn't fall anywhere close to any other human beings. That's quite <laughs> good. Well, we'll have to repair that fence, though. But yeah, that was it. He was a human who dropped bombs. Yes. See what I mean, listeners? It's a wee bit tenuous, but we'd probably never get to talk about the mouthpiece otherwise, so it's worth doing. I think Von Drew was maybe a, a reader of police comics and he was making a human bomb reference. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he picked up the comic that the little boy dropped. Exactly. In issue seven. Mm-hmm. Where, does, where does he actually see it? Where does he actually see it? I'm a human bomber. Yes, there we go. That's the panel that we'll use on the socials. Yes. Along with the one of them shooting someone in the face. Yeah, that's... Although, we're exaggerating this. He's shot in the front of the head. We don't actually see... Well, it's not like you see his face explode or well, anything. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he says, I'm letting daylight into him yeah. right in the head. Yeah. So... And he does scream. Yeah, and actually, if you look at panel two, mm-hmm. it's not very clear. There's a little trickle of liquid coming from the direction yeah. of his head. Oh, dear. We missed yeah. that detail in the reading. Gosh. Oh, wow. how violent. I know. It's unusual. Yeah. It's, unusual. it's you know, but very thrilling. Because mm-hmm. I suppose the cable, probably from a distance, wouldn't be visible from people on the ground and yeah. all that. And it's quite lucky that there was a cable car situation or something going on when yeah. they built the big munitions factory. <laughs> 
No one thought to say uh, there used to be a cable car here. Maybe that's got yeah. something to do with it. Should we maybe go up there and disconnect that? Oh, sorry, the tank factory. Or maybe it's not. Yeah. I don't know. Don't build all your munitions factories under a disused cable car line. That's our advice. If there's one lesson you're going to take, so mm-hmm. let me just count. One, two. Eleven. Did you count already? Yes. Well, there you go, listeners. <laughs> Eleven full moons. <laughs> it's more than the last few episodes combined, probably. Wow. No dustbins in this story, though, so boo. But the artwork is lovely. And the, yes. co- the colouring is still fantastic. We're reading this from scans that are available from Digital Comics Museum and Comic Book Plus. Uh-huh. Because the quality comics are in public domain. Yes. So they are easily accessible, so you can check out this full story yourself. No bother. You don't have to try and source a copy of nope. a very old comic. Nope. No, it's all there for everyone it's to all read. There. We might even, I don't know, We might because it's in the public domain, we might even risk publishing the whole story in our own socials. I don't know. But maybe we'll just stick to the panels. We'll see how much time we have <laughs> when it comes to it. But no, this was fun. Mouthpiece, again, just a little generic. But, you know... Yeah, but it's another... DA thinks the law doesn't go far enough. Yeah. Criminals get away with it, so yeah. he takes the law into his own hands. I'm into it. I mean, and I'm guessing Clancy just must be someone that works for him. Yeah. I'm guessing with mm-hmm. his badge. I mean, he's got a badge there. We can see a shield in panel one. has a badge with a number on it in his first, the first appearance, the first panel there. So it's possible he's in the police or whatever. We don't see it. To any Law & Order fans, Clancy is uh, Detective Briscoe. And mouthpiece is Jack McCoy. Yes, if you're a fan of Law and Order, then just imagine those people that playing those characters. That went right over my head, listeners. I'm a, I'm a, I can apologise. I only ever see Law and Order when I'm, when I'm through at my mum's and she's killing time, waiting for the next episode of Countdown or Tipping Point to come on. Dun dun. I got that reference. <laughs> right then. So that's another human bomb Air. of sorts. <laughs> so who's next? So we now move to our third story for this episode. Our third other human bomb. And we're reading a story from issue two of a comic called Big Town. Big Town. Big Town. Mm. Let's say it again together. Big Big Town. Town. Peter, would you like to give our dear listeners and me some background on what the heck Big Town is all about? Big Town is one of these licensed properties that DC published uh, for a while. It was uh, a long-running radio drama. It was all about a newspaper editor. It was originally played by Edward G. Robinson. Is that going to influence anyone's portrayal of this character? I um, wonder, given that I'm actually, I realise that it's me that's doing them and I can't remember what Edward G. Robinson sounds like. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> uh, but the radio show aired from October 1937 to June 1952. Actually, had four films span oh. out of it, which is very exciting. And a TV show as well. But what we are here to talk about today is the comic book that spun out of it. Mm. That ran for 50 issues. And it started in January 1951 all the way through to April 1958. Now, loads of great talented people worked in this comic. Dan Barry, Carmine Infantino, Gil Kane, Alex Toth. All these people worked on Big Town. And John Broom, one of my favourites, wrote a lot of the scripts for it as well. Excellent. Yes, 50 issues Big Town ran for. And of course, because it's a licensed property, DC can't really deprint it. Ah, this is where we come to the interesting thing, isn't it? It is indeed. Of course, this story we're about to read was reprinted in issue 445 of Detective Comics during its little phase as a 100-pager, but it was reprinted with some careful edits. Yes, the main character, Steve Wilson, became Marty Moran, Headline Hunter. And that's literally what the script was called. Amazing. It was fantastic. His sidekick, Lorelai, became Roxana. Illustrated Press, which is what he worked for, became Big City Press because Big Town became Big City. Yes. 
and his other sidekick, Harry, became Herbie. Fantastic. I wonder if he ever went to Monte Carlo. You know, being reprinted in a Bronze Age detective <laughs> comic story, did that mean it was an Earth One story? Was that the equivalent of... Yeah. <laughs> was it multiversy? The same events happen to people with different names and a different Earth. Indeed. So mm. what Earth does Big Town take place on? Listeners, write in and let us know. It takes place on Earth, Earth Big Town. <laughs> <laughs> Earth licensed properties. <laughs> yes, and the same, which means the same Earth as Isis and um, the Shadow Bob Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably Jerry Lewis. Yes, yes that's fine. <laughs> Amazing. So many, so many. Anyway, so yes, listeners, if you want to read along with this one and you own a copy of Detective Comics 445, it might be an idea to dig it out and have a look. Certain colouring aspects are different as well. The eponymous human bomb, his costume is coloured slightly differently, mm-hmm. as well as the, the edits, the names that Peter mentioned. So you'll, you'll obviously, if you're reading along from Detective, you'll have to allow for that. Now, the cover to Big Town Issue 2. Listeners, I'm not one for hyperbole, as you know. This is one of the most exciting comic book covers that I've ever seen quite frankly. Peter's going to tell you all about it. At the top, we have the DC National Comics Superman logo in the top left and top right corners. The title, Big Town, is across this lovely kind of red background in bright yellow. 52 big pages, brand new stories of TV and radio's hit show. But the main image, the main image on this cover, we're up, very high up, outside a building. Mm. There's a police spotlight on this building and captured in its sights is a man who's wearing kind of like what the human bomb wears. <laughs> the quality comics got to the human bomb, but he's also got a gas mask on and he's got a, a metallic soldier helmet on. Wrapped all around him, he seems to have explosives and he's also got a belt filled with grenades and he's got a box at front of him which looks like it has some kind of lever. Now, climbing up a rope to confront this man is... Steve Wilson himself, the hero of this story. And as he's climbing up this rope, there's a policeman looking up from below, looking worried. And of course, there's a whole array of cars and emergency vehicles on the ground below. Everything's going to happen. It's going to be terrible. But as Steve's climbing up this rope, the human bomb, as we're going to call him, is trying to kick him off. Yes. It's very dramatic, very exciting. Steve's hair is blowing in the wind, but he's got a determined look in his face. He is a hero. Yes. yes. Fighting editor Steve Wilson. I mean, yeah, the, this human bomb is nightmare fuel, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. It's a very similar look to, to the human bomb we'll meet in the next story that we're going to do after this one. It's, it's quite different from the, a lot more texture, a lot more detail than the, the kind of bland, no offence to, to Mr. Lincoln, sort of <laughs> all-in-one asbestos suit that yeah. you know, the, the superhero version wears. Mm-hmm. Look at the crowd all in the, down on the ground watching all this as well. You can just bet they're all, they've all got their mobile phones out and they're all mm-hmm. filming it to put it on Instagram or TikTok <laughs> or whatever they had in, in um, 1950. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this issue was published on the 22nd of December 1950. And without any further ado, we're going to jump into the Human Bomb story. It's the last story of, I think, four in this comic. The opening splash image is a little symbolic. It shows a giant version of this human bomb standing astride Big Town, you know, with one foot on one top of one building, one foot on top of another, spotlights ranged all around them. There's a text caption that reads, In Big Town's darkened streets stalked a weird sinister figure that could summon violent death at any moment. A figure that was walking dynamite. And behind the sensational actions of this man lay a banner headline for the Illustrated Press that was strictly explosive stuff and not the sort of explosion you'd figure on. For this time, Steve Wilson, the newspaper's fighting editor, attends a TNT party 
when he attempts to pull the fuse of the, the human, human bomb. bomb. Now, this giant human bomb that's standing astride the city, he's saying something in his opening panel as a statement of intent. You're all helpless. The whole city of Big Town is helpless. If anyone touches me, I'll blow up everybody and everything around me. My goodness, he's not messing about, is he? A little caption tells us this story was illustrated by Dan Barry. Yes. That's quite nice as well. Definite touch the Carmines to him, I think, Mm -hmm. reading through it. Excellent storytelling. So we're going to the story properly. This is Big Town, where every night a thousand different dramas take place. Some make the headlines, some go unprinted forever. But they do take place, and some will never be forgotten, like... The following one. That's a brilliant opening. It reminds like something off Alexi Sale. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the sort of thing Alexi Sale was taking the mick out of, you know. Mm. Or Victor- you can imagine Victor- uh, a Victoria Wood sketch having that sort of yes. sense of, you know, the drama, <laughs> dramatic. Yes, yeah, so this opening panel has a very stark and exciting shot of Big Town. We can see, you know, what looks like some dockside buildings and tall skyscrapers in the background. Big Town. Could they not think of a name for it? <laughs> what about Davy? That's a good name for a city. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Anyway, Caitlin Higgins would have been a good name for it. Right, caption for panel two. It was the night of February 2nd of last year in Big Town. Three men entered a jewelry store, one drew a gun. The clerk reached for an alarm, and the man with the gun blazed away. That was the beginning. A very healthy see what you see caption there basically tells us what we see in the next panel. We see the clerk reaching for the alarm, clearly marked, clearly indicated with his left hand, and a very neatly dressed is that a carnation in his buttonhole? Or is it just his glove? I'm not too sure. Neatly dressed, neatly moustached, neatly hatted gentleman, shooting him twice with a couple of blam blams as he says No, you don't the caption for panel three reads The criminals then ran outside to a waiting sedan. The one who had fired the gun barked terse orders. No time for a lift job now. I had to croak the guy. Get rolling. Yes, this chap who just shot the, the clerk we see is wearing a pinstripe suit. He's got the colleagues. There's a guy in a getaway car in front of him with a cigarette in his mouth. Don't smoke, kids. Everyone's wearing hats. They all look phenomenal. Yes, the getaway car, etc. The caption for Paro 4. It was an hour later that Steve Wilson, editor of Big Town's Illustrated Press, got a phone call to go to the hospital. And we see our hero, indeed, Steve Wilson, and his friend Lorelai, being dropped off by another big town character called Harry the Hack. Harry who wears a green checked cap. Looks a bit of a rough zone so, but you know, salt of the earth sort of figure, I suppose. Harry's dropping them off. We see a sign that reads hospital zone quiet. And Steve is saying, I don't know how long Lorelei and I will be, Harry. If you want, wait in the lobby. Sure, Mr. Wilson, says Harry, caption of the next panel. At the hospital, they meet Sergeant Ralph Darrow of the police department. He led them into the room occupied by the victim of the cold-blooded attack. Yes, we see the victim's been putting some nice striped pyjamas, that the victim being, of course, the clerk from the from the jewellery shop. A doctor, older man, thinning white hair, glasses, there's a nurse behind him as well. The doctor is attending to him. The doctor is saying, He won't live, but I think I've brought him around to the point where he'll talk. Gosh, this is grim. Poor man lying in the bed says, Hillary, handsome Harry, Hillary, I, I tried for the alarm. He, he fired. Easy, lad, easy. Oh, he's through. Oh my gosh. Death count, save count. Caption for the first panel of page three. Big Town's Illustrated Press hit the streets that night with an extra. Yep, we see the Illustrated Press headline. And the headline reads, Dying man reveals killer. Fingers handsome Harry Hillary. Exclusive to the blah, blah, blah. We see presumably a photograph of Harry. Someone reading the paper or the caption for panel two. 
And Artillery's hideout. Next we see Handsome Harry and some of his pals. Looks like they're packing suitcases with some very neatly folded shirts. In some cases I think they're still in the packaging. That's interesting. Look at the detailing in this panel. Gorgeous. Glasses on top of things. Framed pictures. Looks like a calendar on the wall Mm -hmm. with an attractive lady. Handsome Harry Hillary with a cigarette in his mouth is saying, I gotta leave town. Maybe make it to Rio or Mexico. That store clerk. I never thought he'd live that long. Should have made sure of the job. Gosh, that's dark. But Handsome Harry was too late. Already the dragnet had been thrown, and at every highway, rail station, bus depot, and airport, grimly waited badge-wearing sentinels in blue. Yes, this is a great panel with the word dragnet in big letters over a sort of montage image of the police at railway stations, at airports, and, and blocking roads. It's very, very good. We're going to be spoiled for choice for panels for mm-hmm. this kind of thing, aren't we? For the socials. The caption for the next panel. It was a desperate Handsome Hillary that stayed holed up in his hideout. Then he thought of a plan. A very dangerous and bizarre plan. Yes, we see Handsome Harry looking very thoughtful, still smoking a cigarette, and he says, So, they want me bottled up in Big Town, eh? Okay. But they're gonna regret it. Soupy Miller's coming over here, and he's got a big job to do. Soupy Miller, ex-safe cracker, reported to Hillary's hideout that night, and... Yes, Soupy has arrived. He's wearing brown, thick-framed glasses. He's blonde hair, he's wearing a green suit and what looks like a a green-checked scarf. Very, very dapper fellow indeed. Riddler-esque, I would say. Mm. Mm. I would I would wear that gear myself, to be honest, quite frankly. Or I would have done 30 years ago when I had the hair to pull it off. Anyway, with a cigarette in his gob, Harry is saying to Soupy... I want some sort of costume that got mask and microphone attachment so I can talk. And listen, Soupy, I want it wired with all the dynamite a man can carry. I'm going to be a human bomb. To which Soupy says, sure, Harry, I can make it for you. That same night, Soupy Miller returned. And we see Handsome Harry putting on his new outfit. And as Peter described earlier on, there's a big box with a lever in the front and what looks like a, a grill and another kind of speaker. He has grenades attached to his belt. He's wearing what looks like a couple of gas canisters on a harness over his back. Gosh. There's armour and padding around his neck and shoulders. It kind of looks like the G.I. Joe members blowtorch and barbecue. Okay. If that's a, a contextual reference for folk. The next guy in the Blackhawk story actually looks even more like barbecue, but we'll get to him in a minute. As he's trying on all of this fancy outfit, Harry is saying, This is the perfect rig, Soupy. Dynamite, grenades and all. (laughs) Don't laugh. I'm charging you five grand for this costume. There's a speaker in the switch box you're carrying in front of you. And a mic in the mask so she can talk. But don't pull that switch or this whole joint will be blown sky high. Harry has now put on his very frightening Wesley Dodd style gas mask and helmet attachment. And he says, Soupy. You're a real pal. I'm a human bomb and I've got big plans. <laughs> and what plans? A slow dissolve. Two days later, at high noon, a strange figure got out of a car and entered one of Big Town's most prominent banks. Yes, this new human bomb has marched into the bank. We can see tails behind the glass. Peter and I are both having flashbacks to our youth at this point. Mm-hmm. Various customers looking appalled and scared as the human bomb addresses the room and says, Listen, everybody, just do as I say. I'm a human bomb. Walking dynamite, and I can blow this whole bank to bits. A lady who's there screams. She says, Eek! So she does. Caption for panel four. The weird figure stuffed a bag with cash amounting to better than $50,000. Then... Yes, he grabs a very smart-looking man in a bow tie by the scruff of his jacket, saying, Okay, Mr. Bank President, you come along with me. Snap into it. I'll need a hostage. But but I... I, Says the bank president. Then outside, the figure removed the mask and helmet. Yes. Handsome Harry the human bomb takes off the helmet 
see a couple of police officers there. He's holding the bank president in front of him. And Handsome Harry the Human Bomb says, You cops wanted me to stick around Big Town, eh? Okay, I'm staying. Just like you want it, and you're gonna regret it. One of the policemen who's there observes, The Human Bomb is Handsome Harry Hillary. And the poor, comb-overed bank president cries, Officers, please don't shoot! In the next panel, Harry is stepping into what looks like his getaway vehicle, saying, That's right, coppers. Shoot me and everybody in this whole block will get blown up. And don't chase us or the bank president gets it. Yes, he's obviously manhandled the poor bank president into the getaway car as well. In front of the car, Harry's getaway driver says, Let's go, boss. And we go to the top of page five for the first caption reads, The car then sped away, unmolested. The bank president looks terrified inside the vehicle. He's saying, What are you going to do with me? Nothing, pal, except drop you off and let you hitchhike back when we make sure the coppers ain't following us. Oh, so Harry's not all bad then, really. Interesting. I was worried he was going to put a bullet in his head. A slow dissolve. Next, the walking package of TNT entered the window of an office where a factory payroll was being made out. Yes, we see lots and lots of money being counted on a table by a couple of chaps. One chap, was that a polka-dotted bow tie we can see in the corner? Anyway, Mm -hmm. there's also an armed guard, but the human bomb climbs in the window of this office room, saying, Go ahead, you dumb guards. Go ahead and shoot. I dare you, because you'll blow us all up. One of the payroll workers cries, Fred, don't fire. It's the human bomb. Gosh. Fearlessly, the bomb tied them up, stole the money, then left by the same window he had entered. Moments later, a sedan pulled away. There's a bit of compressed storytelling for you there, Mm -hmm. listeners. (laughs) And as the car drives off from inside, we hear one of handsome Harry's confederates saying, There must be 30 grand here, boss. At least. And the job was a cinch, stepping it before somebody finds those guys and yells for the cops. Meanwhile, at the editorial offices of the Illustrated Press, Lorelai looks on in silence as, with a cigarette stuck in his gob, Steve Wilson takes a phone call, saying, What? The bomb struck again? Payroll job? Okay. We'll run it on page one. The next panel, which might well end up on a tweet, shows the headline of the Illustrated Press and the headline that says, Bomb Steals Payroll, with a photograph of the nightmare fuel giving human bomb. The final panel of page five, we're back at handsome Harry Hillary's hideout with his hoods, one of whom is saying, You're becoming a sensation, boss. You got them all going crazy. But they say getting you out of big town. Just wait. This is only the beginning of the whole plan. By the way... We're soupy. His cut's here. Yeah, they're addressing the piles of cash on the table, to which handsome Harry's other associate says, He broke his eyeglasses and is getting them fixed. He's as blind as a bat without him. Handsome Harry Hillary's hideout was where menswear played one of the earliest gigs. Probably was. Yeah? Yeah, it was a great showcase for menswear's mighty musicianship, featuring, of course, the mighty mountain drums. But top of page six, the caption reads, In the ensuing few days, Big Town becomes gripped in a state of terror. The human bomb robbed freely, unafraid of being touched by the arm of the law. And the panel at the top of page six is another absolute beast of a montage, showing the human bomb symbolically striding through Big Town with piles of cash floating all around them, and the populace of Big Town terrified and screaming. That is definitely going on the socials. Wonderful, yeah. A slow dissolve. And Steve Wilson, normally one of Big Town's leading crime fighters, found himself helpless. Yeah, it looks so they're back in Harry the Hack's vehicle. Harry must be a cab driver by the looks of things, because mm-hmm. that looks like a meter that's going on. Yep. Anyway, Harry leans back and says to Mr. Wilson, What can anybody do against that bag of TNT, Mr. Wilson? I don't know, Harry, just yet. Our only chance is to catch him alone somewhere, where he can't do anybody else any harm. And Steve's jacket changes from yellow to green. <laughs> 
between panels. Must be reversible. Yeah, as he continues, Hillary's making plenty of money from his robberies, but that'll never get him through our dragnet out of Big Town. We're still watching every exit. Suddenly... Steve's jacket changes again <laughs> to a sort of darker bluey green as he cries, Wait a minute, Harry. Something's going on here at the hospital. Stop the cab. Cab stops. Final panel of page six. Steve gets out, talking to a policeman who he recognises. He says, Casey, what's the trouble? Up there, Mr. Wilson, look. It's the human bomb. He pulled a job in the insurance building and crossed over here to the hospital. And the first panel of page seven, which runs the full length of the page, is stunning. We see the human bomb with all his gear and accoutrements standing in a ledge. Very helpfully, someone will continue to tell us that. You can see the spotlights being shown. Very evocative of the opening splash panel and indeed the cover. Casey continues. He got out onto the ledge to escape, but then he couldn't find a way to get off the ledge. If he falls, Mr. Wilson, there's going to be a big bang. And a lot of dead people. There are no patients in the upper floors where they're renovating, but there are plenty on the lower floors. I'm going up there. Wilson and Harry the Hack took an elevator to the 19th floor, and there... Yes, we see Harry leaning out of a window as Steve, using a piece of rope, starts to lower himself down. Steve is saying to Harry the Hack, I'm right above him, Harry. Now, I lower myself. Remember how the saying goes, Mr. Wilson? Think twice before you jump after a bird in the hand. Or something like that. In short, watch yourself. Panel three, we're down with a couple of the bystanders, the onlookers who are watching from the crowd. One man in a hat points and says... Look, Steve Wilson's letting himself down to the ledge. And a lady in a what looks like an almost a leopard skin printed coat and hat, she says, he won't have a chance if that guy decides to blow himself up. So that's three uses of the word ledge on this page alone. That's fantastic. Are there going to be any more? The next panel, Steve is lowering himself on his rope. He's obviously very adept, incredibly fit, incredibly strong in the upper body. Lowering himself down towards the bomb. Steve says, surrender, Hillary. At least you'll get a fair trial. We can lower ropes and nets and get you off the ledge. The bomb replies, Ha! Huh, don't make me laugh. And the first panel of page 8 is captioned, Dangling there, 19 stories above the street, Steve Wilson pleaded in vain with the strange figure on the ledge. Gosh, this is very exciting. First panel, we're standing looking down above Steve and above the bomb. We see the, the massive assembled crowd outside the hospital. We see the fire engines, all the other emergency vehicles. This is high tension, quite literally. Steve is saying to the bomb, you're hopelessly trapped. Give up, I say. Never, replies the bomb, and the caption for panel two reads, The bomb back toward a window, turned and kicked in the glass. Yep, see what you see, caption, there's a crash as the bomb kicks through the window and moves in, starts running through the room. Steve, climbing the window behind him, papers flying, it's very exciting. Steve says, wait, the bomb replies, no, I'm getting away. The next panel, Steve runs after the bomb down a corridor in the hospital, watching him running through an open doorway. Steve thinks, there he goes. And then in the next panel, final panel of page eight, we see the bomb is trying to make his way through a door, which has a sign on it that reads, Stairway. This stairway closed temporarily while repairs are underway. There's a signature, which you can't really make out, and it's identified as being the superintendent of the hospital. The bomb, trying to get the door open, is frustrated and says, Got to get out. Got to. Ah, door's locked. Can't get it open. Caption for the first panel of page nine reads, Again, the figure of walking dynamite attempted to flee, but there in the silence of the corridor, he stopped abruptly, and his face froze in horror. The bomb gets a close-up, eyes wide, as he thinks, That ticking! I don't hear it before! It sounds like a watch, but I don't wear a watch! 
Suddenly... There's a massive fiery explosion. We see Steve dropping to the ground, and a caption for panel three reads... A moment later, Harry the Hack raced down from the floor above. We see Steve lying unconscious, it looks, on the ground. Hopefully he's just unconscious. Harry rushes towards him, saying... Mr. Wilson! Mr. Wilson! And a slow dissolve. Shortly afterwards, they bore the unconscious editor to a room in the lower floor. It's very helpful this is all happening in a hospital. <laughs> we see Steve's body being taken in by firemen and police from the looks of it. Lorelai's there, as is Harry the Hack. There's a nurse present as well. Lorelai looks very distressed. She exclaims, Steve! Oh no! And the caption for panel five reads, It was not long before he regained consciousness. Yes, the nurse is saying, He'll be all right. It's lucky he threw himself to the floor. Most of the shock went over him. And a senior police officer who's there says, Well, at least that's the end of handsome Harry Hillary, former killer and walking bomb. And Steve, in his hospital bed, wrapped up in bandages, in a very comic fashion, he says, You're wrong. Dead wrong. Hillary's still alive. What? We can't be wrong. That blast would have blown even an Iron Man to bits. Gosh. We'll come back to that in a second. Mm. Steve says, I know, but I tell you, you're wrong. Now listen. Do as I say, and do it fast. Caption for the first panel, page 10. The editor asked a fantastic request, and the police sent hurried telephone calls to various parts of Big Town. Then, 20 minutes later, the incredible occurred. Yep, Steve's still in bed, and into his hospital room come a couple of uniformed police officers, bearing in front of them none other than handsome Harry Hillary. One of the police is saying, you said watch all bus stations, airlines, train depots and roads, Mr. Wilson. So we did. And we got handsome Harry, just like you predicted. From his bed, Steve says, It was a good plan, Hillary, but almost too good. Your scheme to get out of big town and yet make everybody think you were dead had a couple of flaws in it. To which Harry replies, Okay, wise guy, what went wrong? From his bed, the bandage, Steve says, You purposefully gained notoriety as the human bomb so that we'd have no doubts that the man in the dynamite costume was you. Then... When you thought the time was ripe, you paid one of your men to pull a job as the human bomb. He suspected nothing, right? And this next panel was a little flashback, narrated by Steve. Steve says, But the man you send usually wore glasses, which he couldn't wear under the mask. His bad eyesight made him run to chairs and made it impossible for him to read obvious signs. And we get a little flashback to Steve chasing the human bomb through the hospital when the human bomb knocks over chairs, sending paper flying like we saw in that panel. And also, the human bomb up against the door with a sign on it saying that the stairway was closed temporarily. We cut back to Steve in bed addressing handsome Hillary and the cops. I knew you never wore their needed glasses, so I knew it wasn't you behind that mask. Your man didn't know you had planted a time fuse inside his suit so that it would blow him up. After that, you were going to flee from Big Town, and we are supposed to figure you dead. As handsome Harry is led away by the police, he says, That severe would have to be nearsighted. Confound him. One of the policemen waves to... Steve and Lorelai saying, Soupy, Soupy Miller, eh? So now we know who the blast victim was. Better get that out in headlines, Steve. This is your story, and it's a good one. And Lorelai, smiling broadly, because Steve's in hospital, remember, she finishes things off by saying, This is one time that I'll get the paper out. And a small caption reads, The, the end. Ha 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 ha. Poor Soupy Miller, we hardly knew him. I know. Well, it serves him right for building, you know, a death suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no two ways about it. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Oh, it was rip-roaring fun. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. that. DC, can we have a full Big Town omnibus, please? Just pay the licensing. If Marvel can sort out ROM and Micronauts' <laughs> omnibus, then you can do the same. Yes, let's start our GoFundMe right now. Absolutely. <laughs> that was fantastic. 
Yeah, great fun. Very, very exciting. Mm -hmm. Brilliant art. I mean, I loved the use of like newspaper headlines and the little montage shots and stuff. Glorious. It's very off the time though, isn't it? It's very, you know, investigation in the big city, you know, all this sort of stuff. And all the pinstripe suit gangsters. And, yeah, you know, I mean, it's just, what, 1950, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. It's ideal for that era. This it's was, superb. This was literally published around about the same time that the final Justice Society story in All-Star was yeah. published within weeks because mm-hmm. that wasn't... People always talk about it being 1951, but it was dated 1951. It was the uh-huh. final All-Star, I think, 57. All-Star issue that JSA was in was published in December 1950. Fascinating to think all this was going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. I really, you know, I can't emphasize enough. I love this. Brilliant, crisp mm-hmm. storytelling. It rattled along. Brilliant pacing. A couple of moments of mild, dark humor at yeah. points. All the characters very well rendered. Human bomb looking like a sort of, you know, 17th or 18th century plague doctor. <laughs> Almost, yeah, huh? It's fascinating. I mm. mean, and of course, there was a panel that looked a little bit like the cover, which I absolutely love when that happens. Hey, cool. It's strange that we should talk about, you know, when this comic actually came out because the feel of it and look of it seems so much later on than that, doesn't it? Yes. It seems like it's like yes. 10 years before its time at least, yes. you know, because uh-huh. the action in it and everything, it looks very much like. Something that might have been in a more realistic version of Strange Adventures or something uh-huh. from like, you know, yeah. ten years afterwards. I was I was reminded of the, the Manhunters issue of Showcase mm, that mm-hmm. we touched on. Yeah. I mean, huh? If this is indicative of what Big Town was like, then yeah. I'm gonna do some more digging and try and find some more issues of Big Town to, uh-huh. to read. I mean, if you told me this was published in nineteen sixty five, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> yeah. You know, because the yeah. artwork is so crisp and so busy and mm-hmm. so sharp yeah i mean that panel where steve's chasing him through the hospital and you've got steve running out one doorway and the human bomb running through another uh-huh. but the entire rest of the room is all just silhouetted yeah it's gorgeous but you've, you've got the bookcase with the plant pot on top of it mm-hmm. and, and the waste paper bin right beside it and the yep. and the picture on the wall but everything else is black yeah but these things stand right out it's just it's a really interesting artistic choice absolutely and it's beautiful it's great yeah and you know similarly the second panel on page now when the explosion's going off the soundless explosion yeah exactly soundless explosion and there isn't a thought bubble from Steve saying, an explosion, I'd better get to the ground, I'd better drop yeah, to the ground, uh-huh. which you can imagine some other writers, maybe 30 years later, even yeah. still doing that. Gardner Fox would definitely be doing that. Roy Thomas would have, yeah. would have done it. Uh-huh. It's great, you know, that a couple of panels later, the nurse reiterates what had happened, just in case anyone hasn't picked it up. And, yeah. you know, I feel a bit sorry for Soupy Miller, but as you say, he kind of deserved all he got coming because he, yeah. he was a baddie. Yeah. He was I mean, a former safe cracker, etc. You're not going to build that suit and you know not have it go off at some point. Exactly. Chekhov's human bomb. Exactly. Costume. You reap what you <laughs> sow. You can't be cutting about in grenades and dynamite and mm-hmm. expecting it not to blow up on someone. Mm-hmm. Literally, you know, he was a human bomb. He exploded. He blew up. Yeah. Fantastic. None of the others that we've had so far really, really did that. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to do a dedicated Big Town podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I hope if you were able to read along with this one and your your handy copy of Detective 445, you enjoyed it just as much as we did. I want to know what happens to Marty Moran, Headline Hunter, on Earth One. Does he ever come back? Because, you know, I think if this is the quality of his stories, then I think it'd be a really interesting character to have yeah. come back. Gosh, they could have taken plenty of other big town stories and mm-hmm. re-edited them and, and you know, mm-hmm. used them as fodder. I mean, I think it's obvious why this one was reprinted, yeah. I think. Uh-huh. You know, the character called the Human Bomb, etc. It's obvious, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think, because I'm pretty sure there were some Dollman stories reprinted in some of the Detective Comic 100 pages. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on. The Freedom Fighters ongoing was imminent, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's quite obvious why they would highlight this one and pick it out. Yeah. But I'm really intrigued. I kind of, if any other Big Town story is half as exciting or well scripted or well paced as this one, mm-hmm. then I'm going to want to read it, quite frankly. 
there was one other big town issue we came across yes. that we thought we might cover. It's one with a story called The Three Steve Wilsons. Yes, the cover of issue 38, which very helpfully is one that's flagged up on the Big Town Wiki page. Kind of like when Billy Batson meets the three other the guys who became Lieutenant Marvel and uh-huh. the, the Marvel family stories. Yeah. Steve encounters a few guys with the same name. It's the, are you Dave Gorman of the DC mm-hmm. licensed properties universe? And <laughs> it's the sort of thing, if we had if we had the time, the money and inclination to do a Patreon and do bonus episodes, yes. we probably would do it on there. Because it kind of falls into a remit. <laughs> well, you Loosely. know, they're not from Parallel Earths. No, they're not legacy, technically. Well, well, you, but know. It's, you know, it's, some other, it's someone encountering. So, you know, we can, look, man, we know the, rule, the, the rules are, there are no rules. <laughs> We can extrapolate and stretch this as much as we like sure. if it's a good story. Sure. I wonder if Marty Moran, headline hunter, encountered some other Marty Morans. Wow. I mean, he might have encountered Mike Moran, also known as Miracle Man. Of course. If there had been a crossover issue, that would have been exciting. I wonder if, if the Moran fellow headline hunter has a DC Comics wiki page. You know, does he exist? Does, has he been identified as a proper DC character, even though he was just a one-off in this reprinted license story? I wonder. Shall we have a look and see while we're here? Yes. Good. DC Vicate Marty Moran. Marty Moran's a much more exciting name because at least it's alliterative, unlike boring old Steve Wilson. Yeah, and big shout out to Lorelai who got like three lines in the whole thing. I wonder if she had a bit more to do on the TV show. Hopefully. No, it looks like this is Marty's only appearance. Gosh. What a shame. We could write our own Marty story when we yeah. do a DC comic. Yeah, when we write our own DC comic, he'll team up with Steve Wilson. Yes. They'll. <laughs> Go through Jimmy Olsen's interdimensional hive device. Yep. And uh, meet each other and have an adventure. Be fantastic. It would be very good. I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to do some investigating and see if there's any clips of the big big town TV show on YouTube or anything. I'm fascinated. We will be. I want to. We will be. I want to see some more. Mm-hmm. So that's it for Big Town. We move on to our next human bomb. We move now to issue seventy nine of Black Hawk. Black Hawk, we've not Black Hawk for ages. Yay! Listeners, if you only recently joined us, dig back into our archives a couple of years ago and listen to our Black Hawk episode. It was fantastic, one that we really enjoyed doing. I went Black Hawk Dar for a couple of weeks, if you pardon the expression. Yes, we're doing a story from issue 79 of Black Hawk when it was still published by Quality, published on the 25th of May 1954. Peter's going to tell you about the, the very exciting cover. We have the Black Hawk logo at the top, the assembled Black Hawk team's headshots either side. There's big lettering saying, The Human Bomb, under it. Black Hawk is coming out of a room that's marked Danger, Danger, High Explosive, with a couple of his men behind him. And he's shocked to find a man wearing what seems to be kind of like an old-fashioned red diving suit with a a modified helmet, a big gas canister on the back with some armoured shin pads and other accoutrements standing in front of him. It looks like he's got a belt of explosives around him as well. And he's holding up his hand, and in it, it seems to be a kind of device that is wired up to the canisters on his back. Yes. Crikey. This, out of all of the, the human bombs that we've met in this story, this is this guy is like the most nightmare fuely. Mm-hmm. Again, reminded, especially the colouring, reminded of the G.I. Joe character Barbecue, mainly just because he's red and he's got canisters and stuff all over him. If that helps you visualise him, listeners. But Pete's right to make the, the diving suit comparison, especially the way the sort of the helmet sort of fitted around the neck and all that. Yeah. It's another very dense one. It's a good one, though. Quite a few stories in this issue. Blackhawk, this one's further near the back. The scene is set with a large caption. He was the most fearsome enemy the famed fighters for peace had ever encountered. A walking madman charged with sudden death and destruction. 
Thus, the free world's top secrets were in mortal danger, and the nation's leaders turned to the Blackhawks for help. But could these seven brave men deactivate and render helpless the The human bomb? bomb? Well, we'll soon find out. Blackhawk logo at the top. Quite a lot going on in this opening establishing panel. We see Blackhawk and Andre and Stanislaus and the others confronting this human bomb in his red suit that Peter described in the cover. We get a better look at the front of his face. Again, it's very similar to the Big Town human bomb in that there's a sort of eye mask thing and a Wesley Dodd-style nozzle at the front. Um, There's all sorts of stuff. We can see all sorts of munition and equipment and there's a barrel with the word nitro written on it. The human bomb is standing at the top of a little iron staircase on a kind of gantry with all sorts of things behind him. He's holding a what looks like a gas canister or a bomb in his hand and he is saying, You know my power, Blackhawk. Stand back, or I'll blast you and your friends into oblivion. To which Hendrickson says, Och, the lieber Blackhawk, let him go. Their madman's bombs will blow you to pieces. Blackhawk replies, Somebody's got to call his bluff, Hendrickson. Take cover, gang. This is the showdown. Gosh. Excitement. It is. So, caption for panel two reads, On a European tour of the free world's defences, the famed Blackhawks inspect a powerful airbase bordering the Iron Curtain. Yes, a European tour. I didn't realise they were musical. (laughs) The Blackhawks were the Partridge family. The Blackhawks were touring Europe, supporting menswear (laughs) in every city they went to. That's a Photoshop image. (laughs) Just waiting to happen, listeners. Stay tuned. Yes, we see a very impressive looking military aircraft. Blackhawk and Chop Chop and Henriksen and Chuck and everyone else standing around examining. There's another a general with them, a chap called General Bolden, who is saying, And this Blackhawk is the army's latest answer to aggression. She's capable of doing over 1,200 miles per hour. Too bad we haven't more of them. It's a sleek looking jet, General Bolden. And then he's interrupted by a wee, wee, wee sound effect. And he says, what's that sound? An alarm? To which the general says in panel three, Three blasts! Great Scott, that means real trouble! We'd better investigate. On the double! Let's go, gang, says Blackhawk. As the valiant fighters for freedom pour forth from the hangar, utter bewilderment fills their eyes. Yep, the lads run forward. Henriksen's out first. Henriksen being the one with the thick moustache, the thick white moustache, he exclaims, Donnerwetter! And Andre the Frenchman says, Secret, what is that thing? Which Blackhawk says, I, I don't know, Andre. But the general is right. It's trouble. And we pull back in panel two and we see the red uniformed figure that we saw on the cover in the opening splash setting half panel. And it is this new, scary, red-suited, nightmare-fueled human bomb who declares, I come here to destroy the weapons of war. If you interfere, you too will be destroyed. My Yimmy, what has he strapped to his back? Bombs, Olaf, says Blackhawk, helpfully identifying the person he's talking to. And they look powerful enough to blast his base to pieces. Let's hope those soldiers aren't trigger-happy. We should say that some armed soldiers that are also rushing forward, bearing their weapons on the human bomb, who cries in panel three, Heed my warning well if you value your lives. And then one of the American army officers says, Ready? Aim? But he's interrupted by Blackhawk, who says, Don't fire! That thing may be a walking keg of TNT. Another American officer steps forward, saying, Blackhawk, we can't let him enter that hangar. Our top-secret jet's in there. Yes, the human bomb is moved off towards the open hangar from which they've just emerged, walking towards the, the jet capable of going at 1,200 miles an hour. As they watch them go, Blackhawk says, We have no choice, Captain. If those are live bombs he's carrying, a bullet would blow us all to kingdom come. Is that the first reference of the 1995 Mark Wade and Alex Ross series in this podcast? May well be. Interesting. 
General Bolden is back on the scene inexplicably. The next panel, Blackhawk saying to him, We'll have to sweat this one out, gang. We can't afford to call his bluff. I suggest you have the hangar surrounded by tanks, General. They'll make good protection, just in case. You're right, Blackhawk. And Chop Chop, who is rendered at this period as a horrible racist caricature. We're not even going to entertain it because it's so ridiculously offensive. Chop Chop basically expressed his woes, shall we say. So there's a caption for the next panel. Spine-chilling minutes pass. Tanks roll into the area surrounding and cutting off the madman's escape. And then, the long wait. And we see some of the Blackhawks ducking down behind the tanks. Chuck says, Thundering jets, what's he doing in there all this time? And Sanislaus says, Ah, we are not used to this battle of patience, Chuck. Blackhawk, attempting to reassure the lad, says, Steady, men. Something's got to happen soon. Soon is seven minutes later. A blinding flash streaks through the sky. Then... A massive... Kaboom! It looks like the air hanger is blown up. It's going everywhere. And when the deafening blast subsides... As the smoke and flames bellow, Blackhawk says, It's fantastic! That maniac actually blew himself up. He was a... a human bomb! Look, it cannot be! Says Stanislaus. In panel two, we see the red-garbed figure walking out of the wreckage of the building. Chuck says... Wow, he's still alive. He lived through it. But how? To which Blackhawk says, We'll soon know, Chuck. Now that character has disposed of his deadly missiles, I think it's time we had a little talk with him. We see that the chap still has the canister strapped to his back. We can still see some detailing around his belt. Chop Chop, however, lightens the the mood by expressing how relieved he is that he can breathe again. This bit of tension from waiting outside the hangar is, is gone. I'm saying tactfully. The caption for panel three of page three. But as the famed team approaches, the incredible human bomb... Yes, human bomb raises a hand and Blackhawk advises caution, saying, Hold it, gang. He's still got another egg left. The fiend only exploded one bomb. Let me pass, or you and your men will perish, Blackhawk. If you attempt to follow, I will touch off my super bomb. My goodness. Now, Hendrickson exclaims in the next panel, That's fine. And Olaf says, Just let me get my hands on him. Blackhawk, restraining the lad, says, Steady men, I know it's tough, but we must consider the lives of the soldiers stationed at this base. We'll meet the human bomb again. That I promise. That evening, the Blackhawks discuss future tactics against the explosive menace. But how does one defeat a human bomb? Everyone sat around looking very thoughtful. Andre says, Perhaps we could strafe the bomb from the air, Blackhawk. Then we would not endanger other lives. I'm afraid to be too smart for that, Andre. Once we took to our jets, the bomb would stick close to populated areas. No, there must be another answer. And at this point, Chop Chop says his ancestors say that it is a wise hunter who traps a dangerous lion as a beast sleeps in its lair. Mm-hmm. Blackhawk looks thoughtful and says, Say, you may have something there, Chop Chop. Oh, it's hideous, isn't it? The difference in Chop Chop here yeah. and the stories we did from what, not even barely ten years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's astonishing, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. Anyway. We shall continue. Blackhawk says, Say, you may have something there, Chop Chop. The bomb's hideout must be in some remote place. If we could trap him there, it wouldn't matter how many explosions he set off. Crossed the wall in the final panel of this page, taking his cap off its hook, saying, And I think I know a way he'll lead us there. Come on, gang. We're going to visit the atomic laboratory outside of town. Stanislaus gets to his feet, looking thoughtful, and says, This I do not understand, but lead on, Blackhawk. A slow dissolve. Days later, Blackhawk jets streak through the sky above a U.S. Army depot, the next victim of the frightening bomb. Yes, we see the bomb down in the ground, marching towards a tank which is poking at what looks like a concrete bunker. The Blackhawk airplanes fly overhead. Blackhawk says, He's still down there, gang. We'll soon know if my idea will be successful. 
Andre, take over command. I'm bailing out. And in another plane, Andre replies, Oui, mon ami. We will land in the field nearby, as planned. Shortly, as Blackhawk descends earthward... Yes, Blackhawk is parachuted out of his aeroplane here, down towards the ground where he can, we can still see that the human bomb is marching still slowly towards the concrete bunker. As he descends, Blackhawk says, He's making for the A-cannon shelter to blow it up. No chance to stop the bomb this time, but if my plan works, it'll be the last attack he'll make against the free world's defences. Gosh. Next panel. He has produced some sort of bottle with a nozzle hose attached to it, which he squirts down towards the bomb. The bomb obviously hasn't heard them coming. Blackhawk is thinking, as the, the goo he is squishing out of the bottle strikes the back of the bomb, a bullseye. I'm sure glad that suit of his is thick. It prevented him from feeling the spray. Now to take cover before this place goes up like a matchbox. And, indeed, there's an insect panel with a massive... A room explosion, so Backhawk doesn't feel too bothered about them not rescuing or protecting the A-cannon. The caption for the next panel reads, Split seconds after the bomb's devastating blast, Blackhawk joins his men in a nearby field. We see Chuck standing in the wing of one of the planes with a device in his hand, and he says, How did you make out, Blackhawk? He's saturated with radioactive water, Chuck. With that Geiger counter, we'll be able to track him from a mile away. Let's hurry. He escaped to the south. The whole gang moves off in the next panel. Andre says, Ah, since the professor's efforts at the atomic laboratory were not in vain, mon ami. To which Blackhawk says, We'll soon know, Andre. Pick up anything, Chuck? See Chuck waving his Geiger counter and Chuck says, Nothing, Blackhawk. Are you sure you went this way? But that's impossible. I'm positive the bomb took this direction. He couldn't be out of range. Are you sure there's no reaction in that machine? Absolutely, Blackhawk. We're not picking up a whisper. Perhaps that water we got at the A-Lab wasn't radioactive. We got very dynamic close-up of Blackhawk running at page four. I think he looks a bit like Hugh Grant. Oh, he does actually, yeah. <laughs> well, a touch of that, yeah. yeah. Uh, I should speak to my pal Richard Curtis and pitch this then, you shouldn't should. I? Mm-hmm. Blackhawk says, no, the professor checked that water thoroughly. It was 97% radioactive, and I'm sure I scored a bullseye when I fired it at the bomb. The first panel of page five, Andre is saying, it is impossible, Blackhawk. How can there be no pickup on the Geiger machine when his uniform is soaked with radiation? I don't know, Andre. It's strange. Too strange, says Blackhawk, examining the Geiger counter. General Bowden is walking up behind them in this panel, and he says in panel two, Bad news, Blackhawk. We thought all our men were out of the building at the time, but we just found the remains of what was once a person. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, General. We had a plan to track the devil, but somehow he outwitted us. Come on, gang, let's scour the territory from the air. A slow dissolve. And later, the heartsick fighting team leave their jets. Yep, Chop Chop expresses how odd it is that the human bomb vanished like he really did blow up, to which Blackhawk says, Yes, the fiend planned his escape route well, but how? How did he avoid having us pick up the radiation from his suit? To which Olaf says, Ach, we are so helpless. Next day, the terrible reign of terror begins again at... The American Embassy. Yes, a couple of American Embassy men look on. Looks so they're standing outside windows looking in as the human bomb can be seen going through the contents of a safe, which he's burst open. We can see what looks like broken bars as if the safe was behind them being kept, you know, safe for if you want to <laughs> avoid the repetition. One of the Embassy men cries, Run! Run for your lives! It's the human bomb! Hey, nothing can stop him and, and he's stealing top secret papers! Says one of his colleagues, very excitable man, obviously. Mm. Capture for panel five of page five. 
And again, the following evening, at a key conference of Free Nations officials... Yes, there's obviously some kind of explosion going on in the background. We can see curling smoke and, and debris. A nice man in a purple suit says, Great heavens, it's the human bomb! And the human bomb waves a hand and says, Exactly, gentlemen, don't be alarmed. I've merely come together whatever documents of interest you gentlemen might possess. Caption for panel six. Then... An armed soldier appears and says, uh, I'll get him, gentlemen! Points a gun at the human bomb, who replies, Go ahead, you fool. If a bullet strikes me, it's bound to hit a bomb, and that will destroy you all. And the man in the glasses in the purple suit and the bow tie from the previous panel cries, Great grief! He's right! Don't shoot! Three gentlemen in two panels. Gosh. Amazing. The three gentlemen supported mm. <laughs> the Montrose <laughs> Avenue. Uh, anyway, Matt knew one of them because he'd been in that other band that obviously earlier supported menswear. Right, the final panel for page five is captioned. And shortly, the mighty Black Hawks stand helplessly by, outside after speeding to the scene of alarm. The Black Hawks have arrived. And we see the human bomb descending the stairs outside the building where the, the key conference of the Free Nations was taking place. An armed soldier is saying, We don't dare fire. He's carrying enough explosives to kill hundreds. Yes, he's tied our hands again, says Black Hawk. And in the first panel of page six, the human bomb, with some files in his hand, shouts at everyone, saying, I shall be making my escape through crowded streets, through blocks of houses where children play. If I am followed, I will without hesitation detonate. Remain where you are. We cut back to the others in the next panel. Olaf says, I ban like to meet that man without his bombs. Blackhawk clenches a fist and says, Yes, Olaf, I'd give a lot for ten minutes with him stripped of his bomb gear. General Bolden, who's on the scene again, says, I see he's done it again, Blackhawk. What a devil. General Bolden keeps turning up. I'm becoming suspicious of him. The general <laughs> continues in panel three. Well, at least he didn't kill one of my men. We learned not a man at the Adams section was missing. We can't account for the body found in the ruins. It wasn't one of our men. What? You say the body did belong to one of your men, General Bolden? Says Blackhawk, reaffirming what the general just said, making sure we're all paying attention, and making sure that we get this obviously important plot detail and a slow dissolve. And as the general leaves... Yes, a nice aerial shot of the lads all standing around. Andre saying, Sacre, you have thought of the plan, Blackhawk? You have the idea? What'd you strike on, Blackhawk? What's the mystery body got to do with it? Gang, I'm not sure of anything, but let's make some new plans back at headquarters. And a slow dissolve. Later... Blackhawk is standing in front of a big map, pointing at it. Stanislaus is saying, Then each one of us will guard the key objective, Blackhawk. Exactly, gang. By means of our belt radios, the first to see signs of the bomb will notify the others. These six locations represent the most vital plants of the free world in this locality, and wait for me to arrive before doing anything. To which Henriksen replies, Ach, that's a good plan. The bomb will strike soon. He feels nothing. A slow dissolve. Shortly, as Hendrickson guards the vital free world munitions plant, he has good reason to use the special belt radio of the Blackhawks. Yes, why has he got special good reason to use the special belt radio? Because he's just seen a human bomb. You see Henriksen speaking into his radio set. I'm miming that for the benefit of our YouTube viewers as he says, Donna Retter, the dog is here, man, quick! And over the radio we hear Olaf saying, Coming Hendrickson, I ban move quick. Caption for the final panel of page six. Minutes afterward, the gang is assembled, but Blackhawk gives a strange order. At the Free World Munitions Plant, which is obviously where we're in the image at the start of the story, you see Blackhawk and the lads gathered. We can see all sorts of munitions all around them. There's some boxes with dynamite written on it. A large steel door appears to have been ripped off its hinges. And we see the bomb marching away into the building further ahead of them. As all this is going on, Blackhawk says, No doubt about it, he's after the secret formula for the new type shell we've developed. Take cover, gang. I'm going in alone. That's an order. Secret. One of me. You'll be killed, says Andre. 
But Blackhawk, at least you'd have a better chance with us. Sorry, man. An order it is. And Blackhawk at that steps forward on the first panel of page seven into the, the room. We see all the shells and various types of munition piled up on the shelves all around in the room. And Blackhawk addresses the bomb saying, Bomb, I'm coming after you. Blackhawk, you dare challenge me? Fool. And then Blackhawk raises his hand in panel two, which prompts the bomb to say, What? You seek to threaten me with a grenade? Blackhawk indeed has a grenade in his left hand, and he replies, That's right, Blockbuster. I figure there's enough explosive power in here to blow even you to smithereens. I'll go with you. It's worth the sacrifice. Then this Blackhawk hurls the grenade. Blackhawk hurls it indeed, saying, This is it, bomb. And behind him his gang cries, and the human bomb exclaims, No, no, yay! And reaches for the grenade. The grenade, stop it, stop it! But then Blackhawk punches him, sending him flying over the railings on the ramp, saying, Don't worry about that grenade, it's a dud! Very helpfully, Chop Chop catches it. The bomb is down on the ground. Panel 5, Blackhawk and his men surround the human bomb, with Blackhawk saying, And you're a dud also, bomb. You never did blow your bombs. You had two slave accomplices to do it for you. Blind devotees of communism who sacrificed themselves for the cause. Remove his headgear, Andre. Andre steps forward and removes the human bomb's helmet, revealing a man with close-cropped ginger hair, a very neat moustache, and a monocle. Andre exclaims, Sacre bleu! It's Von Tepp, our old enemy, the arch-communist saboteur. Henriksen steps forward the next panel starts to tie up Von Tepp, a.k.a. the human bomb, as Chuck says, Gosh, Blackhawk, you mean Von Tepp was concealed in a shatterproof container at the jet plane hangar, enabling him to come out after his man blew it up? Exactly, Chuck. And at the A shelter, a sacrificial henchman went in alone to blow himself up. That's why we couldn't trace the suit we'd radioactivated, because it was on the body the general found. They all take their leave from the munitions place. You can again see the door ripped off its hinges. How the heck the human bomb managed that, I don't know. The human bomb bound in ropes as Blackhawk leads the party, saying, You see... His men created a scare fraud by killing themselves. Von Tepp could loot vital military secrets afterward without fear of being shot because he was a human bomb. However, I couldn't be positive this was the case, and I reason only my life should be risked proving it. And we are bereft of a caption, but that is in fact... The the end. end. Wow, what an info dump that was at the very end there. <laughs> that kind of ruined it for me, to be honest. <laughs> it was literally a case of, I think we've only got two panels left. Yes. Quick, squeeze everything in. Yes. What's your knowledge on Von Tepp? Uh, Von Tepp's actually a Luftwaffe pilot and he's tied into the origins of the Blackhawks. He's a sadistic officer who bombed a hospital in Poland, resulting in the death of Blackhawks' siblings. Thank you, DC Wiki. Yes. And yet, so he was a recurring uh, villain in Blackhawk. And obviously, I tried to keep his identity secret by not playing him with a German accent. <laughs> But funnily enough, his monocle's actually in the wrong eye in this story. It should actually be on his left eye. Interesting. On his right eye. Maybe he's a parallel universe version then. Could be. Could be. And further digging into DC Wiki tells that there's another one version of the character who first appeared in Blackhawk 251, so that's very mm-hmm. interesting. Cool. Do we devote an episode to General Von Tepp? Listeners, you decide. Let us know. So I suppose that probably would have had a lot more impact if we were more familiar with this character. Let's That's very true. Our old enemy, the arch-communist saboteur. So maybe by this point in the 50s, he's no longer a German officer. He's been retrobooted yep. to be a communist. So that's quite interesting. As all the baddies were pretty yeah. much in the 50s. Do yeah. we have to do an episode basically charting the different versions of Von Tepp? Gosh, <laughs> oh, can we bother doing that? We're not going to do any more research at this no, time of night, no. quite frankly. 
Well, that was all very interesting. Let's let's recap this then. So the guys that got blown up earlier on were mm-hmm. not Von Tepp. They were Von Tepp's men, but Von Tepp was hiding on the scenes in right. bomb-proof capsules. Of course. So that he could then leave with all the secrets. So it may well have been him who spoke to them outside that first air hangar. Well, no, it couldn't have been because maybe did, did he walk in and was he there already? No, because he was just hiding. Right, so he was hiding and he merged afterwards. Yeah. So it was his pal that spoke to them. <laughs> right, and then... It's very convoluted. So the guy that walked into the concrete bunker that Blackhawk squished the radioactive goo on that mm-hmm. blew up. Yeah. So that radioactive was, goop was blown everywhere. That's he was fantastic. killed. Mm-hmm. Then Blackhawk is saying they found the remains of a person. Oh, my goodness. That they couldn't identify because it's and one well, of those. I suppose that makes sense then about mm-hmm. what... Chop Chop was saying about he vanished like he would really had blown up. And you thought it was the general all along. I did think it was. I was suspicious of the general. I was. <laughs> Listeners, maybe this one will make more sense when you listen, when Peter and I listen back to it <laughs> in a couple of Thursdays when it's released. It's very convoluted, but it's a lot of fun. Yes, the artwork was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's always nice to, to meet the, the Black Hawks. Yes. And as you said, the cover to this one's stunning as well. It's, yes. It's great. It's a beauty. And how could we not do a Black Hawk story? Published by Quality Comics, who also published Human Bomb. Exactly. And the story's called The Human Bomb. Exactly. We'd be insane not I know. to. Yeah, it's very interesting. That I wonder if he, was he, could this guy have been inspired by Roy Lincoln? Gosh, there's a thought. Who actually first identifies him as a human bomb? He doesn't identify himself, so let's have a look. Ah, there we are. Blackhawk himself at the top of page three says, it's fantastic. Actually blew himself up. He was a, a human bomb. So there we are. There you go. When we get to the first part of the Freedom Fighter story in a couple of weeks, we'll discuss further the link between the Black Hawks and the Quality Comics superheroes because there's one panel indeed which is very thought-provoking but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. So, Human Bombs. Yeah, great fun. I mean, what a different variety of similar characters. (laughs) (laughs) What a a different variety of similar characters, by the way. Yeah, I agree with you, great mate. Yeah. So, (laughs) yes, the OG Human Bomb at the start, then we had the Human Bomb Air from Mm -hmm. Mouthpiece. Yep. Then, of course, we just had the Big Town Human Bomb, and uh-huh. we've got the Black Hawk Adversary. Yep. Von Tepp, the Human Bomb. Von Tepp. So, we, yes, there's an alias who mm-hmm. turned out to be an alias for a, a recurring Black Hawk villain, so that's all very interesting. Now, there were several other Human Bombs that we could have covered in this episode. Doyby Dickles came up against one. Superman came up against a Super Human Bomb in Action Comics 242. And there are a few others besides, maybe somewhere down the line, we might even do that Wonder Woman story that we that we considered. There may be another Human Bomb episode at some point in the future. Who can say? But anyway, that's our episode devoted to the Human Bomb. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do some more episodes exploring other stories featuring the other members of the team that will become the Freedom Fighters so we can familiarise ourselves with them before they return on the pages of the Justice League. Absolutely, yes. But in the meantime, what were your thoughts on the Human Bombs? Let us know. You can email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail of you making big explosive noises. That's an amazing idea. As a human bomb. That's a brilliant idea. Yes, don't go up and blow anything up. Just try and make the noises yourself, listeners. <laughs> That's it. And we might even use them in the show. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Just go to speakpipe.com and you can leave your explosive noise there. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're posting lots of bonus material for this explosive episode on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter we're at podcast underscore Earth 2 and it's the number two for all of our social media. As I will say at this point, if you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts and give us a positive review. If you're feeling more generous, you go to our coffee page and buy Peter the price of a beverage. I really enjoyed all of those stories. Yes. A mixed bag. Yeah, and I'm still kind of stunned at the mouthpiece story. I think that was, that was great fun. 
They all were and absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's very true. Really, I really enjoyed them all. We do enjoy doing these portmanteau episodes. Yeah, you know when we talk about the the legacy aspect of character names being reused. We hope you do too. Yes. Hopefully, we'll have some more before too long. We'll have a lot more before too long. Yes. <laughs> on that bombshell. On that human bombshell. I've been Peter. I've been David. Take care, folks. We'll see you soon on the Earth Two Podcast. Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Blackhawk says, somebody's got a car. Blackhawk <laughs> it up completely and the nail get blown up and die the end. Blackhawk doesn't understand the gravity of the situation. No, Blackhawk struggles to articulate what he's saying because it's so exciting. That evening, the Blackhawks discuss future tastic. Future tastics? <laughs> They supported <laughs> men's <laughs> <wear>. <laughs> <laughs> at the Camden Mixer at their first hour gig, etc., etc.